Welcome to the Synapse Nips podcast, where we explore the power of health and healing. On this podcast, we will be talking with health experts, professionals, and leaders about hot topics in the world of health. Whether it's tools to help you flourish, successful stories to inspire, or tips to optimize your health, Synapse Nips is here to help you take the first steps towards living your best life. Welcome to Synapse Sips. Uh, it's Dr. Troy Sproul here with uh, Dr. Josh Wallert and uh, Mark Gant at the at the microphone today. So we're going to have a little bit of a, a chat today about uh, testing, lab testing, uh, different types of testing. So uh, we often get this question um, as far as when do I test my labs? Why do we test labs? And uh, what's the difference with testing and and truthfully one of the questions i actually like the least is can you just order labs through my doctor <laughs> yeah. and so uh a lot of times that's because uh people who are in part of a system their insurance covers it and and that's a whole other conversation but they're, they're trying to get their labs done cheaply or cost effectively to them and so and i get that 100 percent, i get that but it doesn't always work when you're dealing with trying to find out about your health or trying to remain healthy. So I want to talk about lab testing and uh, just some of the nuances of lab testing and maybe why certain functional medicine practitioners will test different labs or more labs. And so it's a really important topic. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this just the other day because I got that question from a patient of mine. Can we go through my medical doctor? And I don't think... In my 10 years of practicing that I've ever once had every single lab that I've wanted run successfully run by another you know, standard medical provider. Yeah, it's very, very rare. I can think of maybe once or twice over the over the decade and a half here where it's actually happened. And then we end up having to run the labs anyway and ended up uh, becoming more costly. And so let's start with why why do we choose a different path when it comes to ordering labs. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start with that one? Well, I think it's important. I tell my patients this. It's important to know why your doctor doesn't order more or can't order more as a, as a starting point because it's not. It's often not because they don't want to. They have to be able to justify it to an insurance company for repayment. And that justification is based on diagnosis codes and procedure codes. And so if you don't fit a very specific criteria that medical doctor isn't going to feel comfortable, especially if they're within a big system, they're going to have people scrutinizing their decisions. Their job ultimately is in jeopardy if they deviate outside of of those standards. And I'm going to say that slightly differently. My concern with that is we now then have regulators that are in charge of your health and decision-making versus you and your doctor. Yeah. I see this. I think the, the biggest thing is thyroid testing. Yes. Right. That's, that's always the kicker. There's, um, the standard thyroid test is TSH. That's a test that really it's a hormone coming from your brain that's telling your thyroid how much hormone to make. But usually a medical doctor is not going to test the actual thyroid hormone. They're just going to base things strictly off of TSH. But we see all the time that TSH is normal, but then all the other thyroid labs are out of, out of range. Yeah, we're going to use that one as the prime example of the differences as far as um, 
what we're looking at too, because uh, to defend the doctors uh, and why they just get TSH, it's the gold standard for when there is significant problems in certain areas of the brain or thyroid. Yeah. And, and they're basically part of the, the medical system. And we're, what I'm going to call it is more of a disease management system. So they're looking to diagnose disease. So it's very true that if TSH is off, uh, consistently, there may be a, a disease process and they don't need the other bits of information as much. But what we're looking at is, are you healthy? How do we prevent disease? How do we optimize your health? When you are looking at it from that perspective, it's very important to get the full spectrum of thyroid uh, labs so that we can see how is the brain part of this, the TSH, communicating with the thyroid part of it, the T3, T4, active T3, active T4, even the antibodies, which is immune system, really. Um, we're getting great markers with that. We get so much information when we get more labs done at the same time, and we actually go through and look at the patterns within the, the lab work too, because um, you can actually discern even some nut potential nutritional deficiencies uh, within the results of the lab work. And we often discuss this. It's one of my favorite things we do as a team every morning is discuss what do you see when you look at this lab work? Yeah. I think it should be mentioned too that one of the other reasons why a medical doctor won't test more for thyroid, for instance, is that they're very limited on their treatment options for thyroid. Yes. They're yeah. only going to be able, if it's hypothyroid and the TSH is high, TSH goes high in hypothyroid, low thyroid, then their only tool is thyroid medication, hormone replacement. That's the only tool. Yeah. We have a lot more tools so that if we see different nuances in testing, we would look at iodine and glutathione and B vitamins and iron and hormones, other hormones. Yeah, we're looking at diet, lifestyle modification, and um, supplementation or nutrient uh, status as uh, different tools in our toolbox. More natural approaches. We'll use medications here at Synapse on occasion. Uh, we're not against medications, but it's, it's usually not uh, something we go to right away. So when the doctors are looking at it, they if they get the other testing, even if it's positive, they say, we don't have anything in our protocol to then do anything different. So why get it? Mm -hmm. So they get probably irritated by patients asking them so much, <laughs> uh, which I get, I 100% get it. Because if we're being asked to do something that's out of our scope and out of our, our scope of practice or scope of knowledge, it becomes a stressor. And that's essentially what's happening when you go to your doctor and ask for a bunch of labs. That's not part of their protocol system. Um. One, well, let me, let me ask you this. When you have a new patient that comes to see you, what's your process in deciding on which labs you want to run? So great question. I will look at a patient and I'm always looking at the filter of how well are they doing mentally, chemically, and physically. And if there's a breakdown in communication somewhere, we measure it with either a weakened reflex, a, a weakened muscle test, or orthopedic test. And then we start to line that up with uh, what type of chemistry do we often see associated with this? For example, if I have someone that's doing even some muscle testing or a marching test or something like that, and all of a sudden you see them start to fatigue very quickly, I have to start looking at the, the fact that they're deconditioned. So are they out of shape? Well, if they've been exercising and they're fatiguing like this, then there's something else going on where they're not getting either sugar or oxygen sent to their brain and muscles properly. So I'm looking for anemia and I'm looking for blood sugar dysregulation issues. If they are just foreign to a gym or exercise, 
then I know it's a true deconditioning thing where I need to bring in more physical therapy and we just got to measure uh, and exercise programs and measure what's going on. So I'll, I'll try and look at identifying um, more of the imbalances and then it kind of leads you to what labs to get. Uh, over the years, you've seen very, very similar patterns. And so it's kind of funny, but a lot of times from a physical exam, you can tell what their labs are going to show in certain circumstances. And, you know, with a 90% kind of guess rate, uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and, and oftentimes we're, when we are surprised, it's like kind of intriguing because there's yeah. something else going on and it allows us to investigate it. Yeah. My process is similar. Almost everybody gets our basic lab though. You know, we have a, a standard comprehensive lab that covers all the basic body systems. Yeah. So that's what I tell people is that I'm looking for both system dysfunction, but then some of the other specialty tests have to do with what are the triggers that might be causing that system dysfunction. Because especially in somebody who's coming in with some sort of complex chronic issue, we might want to test for mold toxins in the urine. We might want to do infection testing. There's stool testing. There's a lot of these specialty tests too. For, for me, I, I try to determine even on that very first conversation that I have with somebody, because you can glean a lot of this even through the history. Yes. What, ty what types of triggers might be present and what kind of extra testing would I might want to run? And then it's verified, like you said, based on, based on the examination. So often we'll do an initial conversation with somebody. I always have my preliminary list of potential labs that I'd want to run. And then they come in for the first examination and we kind of whittle down and say, these are the things that we really think we should test and, and identify. Yeah. The, the, uh, history too can be very, very telling. And a lot of times, especially in functional medicine, a lot of times those weird symptoms that people are hesitant to tell you about are actually the, the deal breakers. They're the ones that, that give us the big aha. Yeah. And uh, there are certain personalities that we see with B6 and zinc deficiency. There are certain personalities that we see with copper excess. So there are different mechanisms that occur within the body, and the body gives us clues all the time. So a lot of times those weird symptoms are the ones that we really like to hear and and uh, I am constantly hearing back from patients how they just like the fact that we not only uh, listen to those weird mm -hmm. things that they're going through, but we actually understand a potential mechanism for that because they've expressed it uh, elsewhere and either don't yeah. feel heard or it's just it wasn't on the radar of the, the practitioner they're speaking with. So those weird ones are, are pretty, pretty important. And then one other thing you said there, I'm just going to make a comment because as uh, um, running the clinic, uh, I also have been uh, looking at the finances over the years and uh, growing up in Canada with their healthcare system and then coming down to the United States with this healthcare system, I've got a pretty good uh, eye and ear for what's going on within the healthcare models. And there's uh, pros and cons to both systems, but when it comes to a true prevention scenario, what we found works best for us is um, the standard lab that we use. Uh, we actually don't go through insurance. And so I want to kind of talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. We order a lab that has over 70 different um, profiles on it, 70 different markers. And if you go through insurance here in the United States for those markers, it's between $1,200 and $1,500. It just went up recently. And uh, that's 
a pretty good chunk. And so a lot of uh, doctors aren't going to get that much lab work just purely because of the cost. But we actually get that same amount of lab work um, through the lab when you pay them directly and you kind of take insurance and the overhead of insurance and managing all the insurance out of it, it drops down to between 210 to uh, $250 right now for that same $1,200 to $1,500 worth of information. So the value is really, really there. So uh, it actually, when you can negotiate these uh, lower prices, you get more out of it. And so we're, we, we do that right now because it is the most cost effective way for us to get the information that, that we need when we combine it with the other factors of uh, uh, physical and mental health. Yeah. Another thing that we do differently above and beyond testing more thoroughly is our interpretation is also different. Yes. Or maybe more thorough is a better way to put it too. Yep. Because the interpretation, if you go to a medical doctor, those doctors are typically going to rely on the lab-based standard range yes. for whatever would be considered normal. And certain tests, my favorite example of this is testosterone for men. Yep. The lab range for men, and this is this differs by lab, but it's usually between you know 200 and 1,000, which is taking everybody who's quote-unquote normal from the age of 18 until 80 or 90 years old. And, and, and if you're a guy, you know that you can feel differently from a testosterone level when you're in your 20s versus when you're in your 80s. Yes. So that lab range shouldn't be the same, but yet it is. Yeah. And so it's, I can't tell you how many times I have men come in who may have had their testosterone tested and they say, oh, I was told it was normal, but it was 300 right? yes, or yeah. 250 and it was just barely above range. When we go through labs and all la all the labs are like this, we have uh, what we call functional ranges, which are essentially optimal optimized ranges based on gender and age um, that tell us a bit more information than just what the lab might provide. Yeah, and you look for the trends within those those ranges too. So you can see what's optimal or normal. You can see what's functionally high or functionally low or what we call lab high or lab low. The closer you are to lab high, lab low, then the more active uh, a disease process may be uh, occurring. So you can actually see years before a disease process happens that you're trending in a wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So we've had people that um, you've know, worked with them for multiple years and they come in for their uh, annual uh, lab work and you see a trend over the last three years that certain things are improving, but certain things might be going in the wrong direction and it allows you to course correct uh, to help prevent disease. And so for, for me, that's more preventative medicine. That's more of being healthy. And the functional ranges, it's always, it was always intriguing to me about you know, why, why we didn't work with that within the healthcare system. And I was, when I was at the University of Manitoba up in Canada, went to a professor up there uh, in, I was in pre-med and I was playing rugby for, uh, at the time in my, in my youth. And uh, I asked him, I, I said, I want to be healthier. I want to get healthier. What can I do? And I wanted to look forward into the medical school training for um, health health reasons. I said, what classes and what professors can I talk to to get healthier? And um, his answer was, uh, well, if you want to be healthy, you don't go into medicine. <laughs> <laughs> and that threw me for a loop because then I realized it wasn't about being healthy. It was about disease management. I didn't realize that all at that point, but that that set me on a course to, to realize that the really the healthcare system was set up for 
identifying disease and then managing the disease with uh, surgery and drugs mostly. And that, that wasn't as much a fit for me uh, philosophically. Yeah. Similarly, the lab ranges are based not off of research. They're often based off of statistics. Yes. And this is why different labs are going to have different standard ranges depending on the lab and depending on the region of the country too. Yeah. They're taking the total number of people that they've tested within a given time frame, a year or whatever it might be. And they're saying this is, this is quote unquote normal for the people that we're testing. And often that has no um, correlation with, or at least maybe not no correlation, little correlation with what is uh, found in the research for yeah. what might be optimal. Yeah. And healthy. And when you're taking averages of the population from a given region and that population on average is unhealthy, then you're actually got normal ranges that are considered normal that are actually unhealthy. Liver enzymes are this way. Yes. Back 50 years ago, the standard range for a liver enzyme was about 10 to 25 or 30. And the, and the research still says that, that yeah. it should be between those ranges. But almost every lab allows it to be up to into the 40s, 45. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mostly that's because of obesity, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so if you want, there is actually a very good PowerPoint presentation on the CDC website. So if you just go to the CDC website and uh, look for um, obesity trends in the United States, there's a PowerPoint presentation. I've used it over the years uh, in, in lecturing. And you can see a very, very specific uh, change in the weight of the United States in particular, Canada's not far behind. But you see a trend uh, from the 1990s, and they had categories of 10% uh, of the population of this state was obese, and then 15% of the population was obese. And that was, that was basically it. And then all of a sudden, you start to see the, the in the mid-1990s, uh, there's a 20% category of uh, obesity and then all of a sudden there's a 25% obesity and then a 30% and then a 35 and you see which states are leading the way uh, most of them down south but uh, uh, they got as high as 50% clinical obesity so you have 50% of your state with clinical obesity there's high high risk factors for that with many different things and so that by itself uh, has influenced the normal ranges and so uh, we, there's no, no doubt why we know that, uh, cancer and heart disease are the number one and two, uh, they go back and forth. Usually, um, diseases, degenerative diseases, our, our lifestyle plays a lot into that. And so we see those trends. And so that can impact our lab. So one of the reasons why we still go to what's considered healthy, it, it's because we shouldn't be changing the values based off of statistics. We should be keeping it the same as, as this is the level of health, this is optimal. Yeah, we shouldn't be adjusting what's normal based on people being unhealthy. Correct. It doesn't yeah. help anybody. No. So let's talk a little bit about specialty testing. You know, these tests are outside of what a typical medical doctor would even have available to run. Yeah. And these are often, you know, poo-pooed a little bit by the medical professionals because they're not diagnostic necessarily for anything. No. I think that's an important point to make, though, because we're often looking for changes in function. We're not looking to diagnose a specific disease. Correct. And so these specialty tests, whether it's a saliva test, urine test, stool test, hair test, there's lots of different tests. Your medical doctor might see those tests that we run and say, oh, well, this, isn't, this doesn't tell us anything because it's not diagnostic. But it tells us a whole boatload of information about your, your body's cellular function. function. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because if there's a breakdown in function, uh, 
then eventually that's going to lead to disease. And so what we're doing is trying to measure the function early on. And so that's why these lab tests are very valuable. But I will say this, a lot of times these labs which come from research, come from doctors, PhDs, and MDs usually that have uh, um, been part of the research and then set up these labs, the hardest part I've found is finding um, and working with practitioners who know how to actually use that information properly. And even within that, you can notice that there's dysfunction there, but there might be multiple ways to, that cause that level of dysfunction or things that you have to do to change that. So, for example, let's just take a saliva, uh, adrenal uh, panel or something like that. There could be many causes for the uh, for what they're finding. Um, you also have to be very, very, very discerning in the fact that they did the test right. If the patient didn't prep properly, uh, that can influence your saliva. Uh, if the uh, the cause of the dysfunction could be anything from a sleep disorder to stress in their life to a sugar imbalance to a hormone imbalance, you still have to discern through that. So again, not diagnostic of anything, but when you get more of a complete big picture of what's going on with yourself, um, mentally, chemically, and physically, it, it eventually starts to paint a picture of what the, the you need to be working on and what the dysfunction is. Yeah. The, the, the type of tests that I see most commonly interpreted incorrectly are certain urine tests. Yeah. And I have a lot of patients that will come in with especially mold tests for the urine, uh, environmental tests for the urine, and the nuance on how these are de- uh, deciphered, like you said, this is one of the reasons why a medical doctor won't run these tests is because it's not a straightforward interpretation. You have to be able to know if something is high in the urine. Is that high because you are highly exposed? Is it high because you're properly clearing it and yes. so then it's high yeah. in the urine? Is it low because it's normal or is it low because you're hoarding that inside of your body and it's not being cleared? And yeah, you can't get rid of it and that's causing the problem. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's never a straightforward interpretation, which is why... A medical doctor who only has 10 minutes to look at a standard lab isn't usually going to have the capacity to do that. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, in functional medicine, at least the way we operate, is we try and get time aside or set aside to review and look at the trends mm-hmm. of what's going on. And that it, that's crucial because what we're really looking at is probabilities. And in, when we were trained in uh, neurology, functional neurology, uh, our mentor, Dr. Carrick, called it probabilities of sum of potential. But it's really the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the probabilities of the different variables, and it's more like a dance. It's not like a black and white, this is, this is what's going on. And we're finding out that health, our health is really not like that. We are way more complex than black and white, linear, this is the problem here. Yeah. And so there's, there's depth and breadth to our physiology. We are multidimensional beings. And so it can change. So when you, when you, I'll give you an example, you can draw a line on a piece of paper and that's a line. If you start to draw a couple lines attached to it, you can start to make a 3d image, start adding color to that. All of a sudden your something starts to pop out right before your eyes. And it can be something that uh, is so beautiful that that it, you know, causes you to have an emotional response. That's just a speck of what the human body is like when you start to see how it works and all the different dynamics of it. So as you start to bring in all the information, you get a big picture of truly how you are working and how you're organized and or how you're not working. And um, it really is a beautiful thing when it's working great. 
Uh, it's beautiful when things aren't working, you figure it out, and then it starts working great. We all love that here, uh, as do everyone who, who goes to that themselves. And so getting uh, that information together usually requires time. And um, one of the things I like to say is we, we know what the basics are. If you eat, eat right for you, think right, drink right, um, exercise right, those things are some foundational stuff that should help you feel better. Mm-hmm. Now, if they don't, something's going on. And so you have to experience those things and then observe that it didn't give you the net impact you thought it should so investigate and then that's basically where labs can come in where they help turn over the fact that uh, you've been exposed to something or you have an underlying low-grade infection or you have a deficiency because of either something genetic or because of uh, you just didn't eat that particular type of food for the last 25 years this is where the art of our job meets the science yes because it's it's not hard for a provider to order labs and, and take a look at, at trends, but you can't get every piece of information you want about somebody by just doing lab testing. Yeah, There are a lot of things that we do, either testing or tracking, that would be considered subjective, right? It's not measurable on a, on a lab test, but the lab test only gets you a starting point, and it's how the person responds to treatments and therapies and how we adapt those treatments and therapies to the person that really is the difference between making progress and not in most situations. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So to wrap this up, do you have any, do you have any favorite labs? Do you have any favorite lab tests? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a tricky one because uh, my favorite lab tests are the ones that uh, point out the problem. <laughs> so, but I will say, um, so on our website, in the media section, there is a uh, video that I shot years ago just, just going through the labs, and, and that's our baseline standard lab. It's one, of, it's one of my favorite just because when I learned early on in my career how to interpret that lab work differently, it was a game changer. So that's one of my favorites because it's like a classic. So as a Canadian, I'm going to say that's like Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky. It's, it's like <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so uh, that that is is great. I would also say that um, just there are some new labs that are coming out that are just brilliant. I think uh, I, this is where science comes in um, versus the art. And what some of these doctors are doing and putting together, they're just so innovative. So Cyrix Labs and... Their array testing is phenomenal to me. And uh, the uh, Infecto lab that looks for Lyme and not only Lyme, but also your immune system's reaction to Lyme, I think is brilliant. Um, so uh, those those are some of my favorites. And not a lot of people know about those labs because they're, they are newer if you uh, aren't too uh, experienced with the, the lab world. And then... I just like some of the other ones, like uh, the tests. Uh, Great Plains Lab is one of my favorite laboratories to use as well because they've got tests that are just unique, organic acid testing. I probably run that the second most out of all my labs, mm-hmm. and that can look for fungal, some potential mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, uh, you can look for uh, different things that just slide under the radar that don't necessarily kill you, but they can harm your quality of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so stuff like that is just when you figure it out and find it for people, it's, it's life giving because so many people are just dragging through life. They're tired. They've got the kids, they've got 
um, work and they're just trying to get through and things stop working as well and they chalk it up to oh, I'm getting older but you know it used to be what we saw at the age of 50 55 we're seeing at 30 and 35 yeah. so age is being sped up <laughs> for sure so your favorite lab tests are all the lab tests. Yes, that's pretty much right. That's accurate. I think I'll give one favorite. I'll make it shorter. Um, <laughs> because it goes into what you said about the age thing. Yeah. I have a lot of people that said, oh, is this just because I'm getting older? I hate that. Yes. I, I never, and maybe to a fault, I, I never blame really anything on age. No. If you're healthy, these little issues that people think are normal aches and pains and not being able to get up out of the couch. And that's, all these right. things. that's not, that's not normal. That is not normal. Aging. No, that's not. Don't let age be your cage. Get out of that mindset. people. Yeah. So my favorite thing to scrutinize on a lab test is homocysteine. Oh yeah. Cause homocysteine's lab range is also very wide and it shouldn't be. And homocysteine without going into too much detail because it's its own podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's what Josh's favorite topic is methylation. And yeah, so this is a so methylation thing. This is a methylation thing. But the re- <laughs> yeah. So on a lab, this should be between really six and eight, ideally. And yeah. if it's above that, you increase your risk for mental health changes, cardiovascular disease, stroke, Alzheimer's or dementia, cognitive changes, just having that be slightly over optimal. The lab range is zero to 15. You can yeah. be well within that range. And if you're there the, your entire life, it is a long-term risk factor for all of those problems. Yeah. So that's, that's my favorite one to scrutinize. Yeah, you went real specific. That's good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, uh, thanks. This was a uh, quick hit on uh, labs and uh, just some basic information. Uh, we do have uh, on our media section in our, on our website uh, one video walking through the different lab work for those that are interested. But uh, we thank you for listening. We thank you all for passing us along to all your friends and family. We've been hearing a lot of great things back from you. Uh, we uh, encourage you to keep doing that, and uh, we're thankful for you, and uh, keep staying healthy. Thank you for listening to the Synapse Nips podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. To learn more, check out our website at www.officialsynapse.com. Until next time, this has been Synapse Snips Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice or a substitute for medical care. Any information given in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease and is at the user's own risk. Please first consult a licensed healthcare professional.